homecoming is a special time of year. Uh, it allows us to look backwards and at the same time allows us to look forward. Homecoming gives us an opportunity to reflect on our past, who we are, who we've been, where we've come from, and at the same time look at where we're going. That is both wonderful and exciting, like today is a great day, and it's also heavy and emotional as we look backward. Just in the past couple of years, our church has lost a lot of church members. We feel that. They're not here today. And there are people at home today that we thought would be here today that aren't able to make it today. And homecoming gets you thinking about those things. Our church was started in 1916. Um, so that means in 2016 was our 100. So this is our 106th. And we have like a church history book that Miss Anna Harris worked hard on and wrote up and put together. If you've never received one of these, we would like for you to have one. And I just want to share a little bit of it with you before we get to the main event today, the preaching of the word. It tells the history of our church. I want to read a little bit. It says, a meeting was called at the public school building of Fairdale, listen to this, on August 20th, 1916, in Fairdale, Kentucky, for the purpose of organizing the Fairdale Baptist Mission into a regular church. This meeting was called to order by Brother Norman Cox, the pastor of the Beachmont Baptist Church. Y'all know Beachmont Baptist Church. They planted this church. They were aided by the following brothers formed the presbytery. And there are seven names here from Beachmont Baptist Church. There are three names on here from West Broadway Baptist Church. There's one name on here from Oakdale Baptist Church. And there's one name on here from Hazelwood Baptist Church. It goes on to say that Norman Cox was elected chairman and Mr. Delph was elected secretary of the presbytery. The meeting was then ready for business and was opened with the singing of Happy Day by the congregation and visitors, followed by prayer by Reverend Devon, pastor of Hazelwood Baptist Church. Then Reverend Payne, pastor of Oakdale Baptist Church, read the scriptures and selected Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, which is the passage that Christ says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That was read at the first ever gathering of this church. It says they also read from Ephesians chapter three, the first 14 verses. And then it says they sang on August 20th, 1916, the song that we just sang to open our service today, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. Once again, Andrew Crawford is an amazing uh, leader of music. We didn't even tell him to sing that song. He just knew to do it. Great job, Andrew. Y'all, Jesus is worthy. And the purpose of all church is to make Jesus known so that more and more people would worship him. Things like programs and organizations and kids' ministries and big lunches like we have today may be a part of it, but they're only a part of it to serve the big goal of the glory of Christ. 
That's what we're about. It's been 106 years of this church trying to be about that. And we must admit that there are times in our past where we've not been very good at it. There are times in our past where we probably make Jesus look worse than he should have. But by the grace of God, we are here today, still looking to the scriptures, still wanting to love and serve those around us, and still holding up the cross of Christ. May we continue to be about that. One of the many ways that we are about that is through being involved in missions around the world. And our guest preacher today is Marcus Lehman. They are right now, I think, still technically members of our church, but they have recently bought a home in Michigan, and so they need to find a church there. Marcus and his wife, Rachel, have four children, Beniah, Nathaniel, Greta, and Caleb. They are a blessing to us. They've been a part of our church now for some 10 years, and they have the very, very unique calling of working with people groups all over the world that do not have the Bible. That's a high calling. And it takes a very special gifting to be able to do that work. We know them as friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, and we love to see them yet again. But we want you all to know that this is a special, special calling that they have. And we want to ask every one of you all to be involved with it. Once we dismiss today and you go downstairs and everybody eats and starts hanging out and all that, they've got a table, a booth set up where you can go over there and get some stuff, get a prayer card, learn more about them, see what they're doing, okay? But in your bulletin today, there's also a bulletin insert. Everybody should have gotten one of these. On one side of it, it's their family, it's the prayer, uh, some prayer guides and all that. Uh, but there's also a QR code. If you would and you want to get involved with them, you can sign up and get their newsletter, stay informed. You can keep up with them. You can be in contact with them. Uh, you can support them. We want you to be involved with them. And then on the back side of this bulletin insert are just some of the highlights of the needs and the work that's being done in the world uh, for Bible translation. It is a huge honor for us today to have the Layman family with us. Thank y'all for being here. Marcus, come preach to us. Welcome him, church. Well, thank you, Josh. Thank you, church. It is, it is sweet to be here. Homecoming is a sweet time in a lot of ways, and I think this is a year of homecomings for us. We spent the past year over in France doing language learning, trying to redeem the time during the uh, confusion of COVID and during, doing French language learning so that we could serve parts of Africa that I couldn't have served otherwise. And so just this summer was our coming back, spending lots of time with family, and I've since been in and out of the country a lot. So uh, coming here has been really a sweet welcome, so thank you for welcoming us. Uh, we, we've just felt like it really is coming home, coming back to family, to be here in Fairdale with all of you. It also feels like coming home because when you're out and about and all over the world and here, there, you're in different churches all the time, but when we come here, we know that we share the same mission with all of you, and that is really sweet for us. We've been part of this church for, as Josh said, about 10 years, members here, and um, I love seeing this simple mission on the front, and it's something that I can resonate with, that we exist to proclaim Jesus while loving and serving both 
God and people. That is the core of the mission here, and we are just an extension of what this church is doing to do that around the world. Well, like I said, we've been part of the church for about 10 years, but let me tell you a story that goes back a little bit before that. Back in the early 80s, the then president of Wycliffe Bible Translators, Bernie May, was at one of these large strategic planning conferences. And while he was there, the main speaker was uh, posing some questions to stimulate thought among the people there. So the first question was kind of a, a softball just to get people warmed up. What's the goal of your organization, the speaker asked. Bernie thought to himself, well, that's, that's easy. Wycliffe Bible translators exist to get the Bible into the, all the languages of the world that still need it. Simple. But the second question was the hook. And what are you, as the CEO, as the president, as the leader of your organization, doing that is most strategic towards achieving the goal? Bernie didn't have an answer right away because God was doing something in his heart. You see, that question set Bernie on a thought journey for a number of weeks, and he began to realize that he spent most of his time, effort, and prayers focused on missionaries and their organization and all the places Wycliffe was already working. And he spent very little of his time and thought and prayer on places Wycliffe wasn't already working. And at that time, there were roughly 3,000 languages in the world that still needed to receive God's word. So Bernie and his wife did a little bit of research, and they chose one of these groups, the Dubu of Indonesia, and they started to pray for them every day. There were three results of that moment in Bernie's life. Number one, Wycliffe launched its Bibleist People's Prayer Project. The Bibleist People's Prayer Project. You can go online, Google that, and you can sign up for it today. Or on the back of your insert, I put one that the Seed Company has, the group that I work with. You can sign up there to pray for different people groups all the time. They will send you the information. It's quite easy. The second thing that happened as a result of that day, though, was that Bernie would eventually go on to leave his role at Wycliffe, give someone else the leadership reins, and start the Seed Company as a means of accelerating this work, getting 3,000 down to zero. And as of today, thousands of projects have begun as a result. But number three, after years, years of praying, Bernie received word that a Dubu man had traveled across his country to a coastal town in search of work. And while he was there, he ended up being hosted by a Christian family. They told him about Jesus. Later in that year, he trusted Christ. He went back to his village. He called a town meeting, and he announced to everyone that he had grown up with the good news he had found out about Jesus. The whole village believed. I know it sounds unbelievable, but the whole village believed. And recently, that village has now sent out four evangelists to surrounding Dubu villages. And two people have stepped forward with the desire to translate the Bible. If we look at God's word this morning in our language, we're going to see that God is on a mission. He's on a mission to get this message about life in Jesus to the ends of the earth. It's an unstoppable mission because God is behind it. But it's also an 
finished a thousand years later. And you and I are called to be part of it. Maybe like Bernie, or maybe in another role. Maybe like that hospitable Christian family. Or maybe like the Dubu, who are now going out to surrounding villages to tell people about Jesus. Let's look at Acts chapter 5, where we're going to spend our time this morning. Acts chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 12 to 42. If you have your own copy of God's Word, you can look at that. There are a few Bibles in front of you. Or like most people in the world, you're welcome to just listen. Most people that I work with can hardly read. And so it's a, it's a good thing sometimes to just listen to God's Word. Acts chapter 5, and we'll begin in verse 12 and read to the end of the chapter. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came in and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Well, then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in the name, in in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up 
and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. Well, he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the case present, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. This is the word of God. I hope you got from that text that God is on a mission. His mission is unstoppable. See, when the resurrected Jesus departed from the earth, he told his followers back in Acts 1.8, you might be familiar with this verse, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Someone who has seen and then telling about what they see. You will be my witnesses in the city of Jerusalem, in the surrounding regions of Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. In other words, God has sent his Holy Spirit, his powerful Holy Spirit, to all who claim to follow the king. Why has he done that? To empower them to take part on this unstoppable mission. So, Jesus said that to his disciples. Fast forward a few weeks, and we have the story that we just read from Acts 5. And if you didn't catch it, let me go through and list all of the things in here that cannot stop God on his mission. Look back at verse 14. Unbelief, unbelief cannot stop the mission of God. It said in verse 14 that more than ever believers were added to the Lord. It's going to say later in Acts 13, 48, that after a sermon of Paul, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. God will save people despite their unbelief. He can change our hearts. Unbelief cannot stop the mission of God. But also, sickness and unclean spirits cannot stop the mission of God. Verse 16 here we see that miraculous signs and wonders are confirming the ministry of the apostles. And we still hear stories of this happening today, these miraculous signs around the world, especially in places where the gospel is just starting to make inroads, like in first century Jerusalem. But I want to tell you a story about something that's not so miraculous, perhaps. <laughs> There's a hospital in Gabon, where we wouldn't say necessarily miraculous healings are taking place, more mundane healings are taking place, but right in that place, 
They're now starting to show the Jesus film in the lobby in every language that surrounds where this hospital is, the most well-reputed hospital in the country that's run by Christian missionaries. And while people sit there and wait, for the first time ever, they get to hear the story of Jesus through this film in their language. You see, sickness and unclean spirits cannot stop the mission of God. Prison cannot stop the mission of God. Verses 19 to 21 This is not the only time you're going to see in the book of Acts that God's followers are put in prison and then miraculously delivered. In fact, it looks like in chapter 16 that God actually purposely puts his people in prison so that somebody, namely the jailer in that case, would hear about Jesus. Iron bars cannot stop the mission of God. Earthly authorities cannot stop the mission of God. Verse 28 and 29 They can prohibit the proclamation of the gospel. But what did they say here? What was Peter's response? The servants of the king say, we must obey God rather than men. We've seen this throughout church history. We see that throughout places like the Roman Empire, medieval Europe, communist countries today, Muslim countries today. Often it's the prohibition that leads to the proliferation of the message. They try to stop it, and it spreads even more. Human authorities cannot stop the mission of God. Death cannot stop the mission of God. Look at verse 33. It's almost as if the authorities just say, oh, well, surely if we just kill enough of them, then this heavenly invasion will stop. But they forget that the king of this mission came back from the dead. I love the irony here, don't you? It says in verse 33 that these leaders, they, got je- they were jealous, they were angry, and they wanted to kill these men after they just said, yeah, our leader, God raised him from the dead. So kill us if you want to. You can't stop the mission of God. The plans of men cannot stop the mission of God. Verse 38 well, maybe this whole thing's just a farce. Maybe these guys stole the body, they made up this story so that they could make money, they could become famous. I mean, after all, they're just a bunch of poor fishermen. They got nothing going for them. They might as well use their circumstances to profit from it. Maybe they wrote this book so that they could get advanced in the world. Maybe they made up these stories. Friends, all these men that we called apostles lived the rest of their lives in relative obscurity and poverty. They did not profit from this. In fact, most of them were killed because of the message that they went out proclaiming. You see, one of the Jewish leaders here, right, Gamaliel, says in this text, if this plan or undertaking is from men, it will fail. So don't worry about it. But if it's from God... You will not be able to stop it. In fact, you might be found opposing God. The plans of men do fail. There's been a lot of misguided efforts in missions. There have been a lot of misguided efforts at churches over the years. Amazingly, God still uses many of these misguided efforts for his glory and advancing the kingdom. But the plans of men, even failed plans, will not be something that thwarts the mission of God. Beatings will not stop the mission of God. 
I mean, this is uncomfortable for me to talk about. I've never been beaten for being a follower of Jesus. I assume most people in this room have not undergone beatings for being a follower of Jesus. I can hardly even say that I've suffered as a follower of Jesus. And yet it's not too long ago when I was in Nigeria, I spoke on a video call with the, the principal of a Christian school who was in the hospital. He had just been shot by bandits in the region because he was leading this Christian influence and they were teaching children about Jesus in that region and they didn't, they didn't want that to happen. Praise God, he has made a recovery. But I don't feel qualified to stand up here and talk about this, but it's not my experience that matters, is it? It's the authority of the word of God that says beatings will not stop the mission of God. In verse 40, they called the apostles in. They beat them and charged them to not talk in the name of Jesus anymore. We don't know what this beating was like exactly. It could have been the full-out flogging like Jesus received. Uh, The Greek term here is not exactly the same. It just means simply that they were struck repeatedly over and over to ingrain in them that this threat comes with pain if you want to continue this mission you seem to be on. But they left the council groaning, complaining. They left the council rejoicing that they'd been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And the result? Every day in the temple, they did not stop. They didn't stop teaching because the mission of God can't be stopped. Can't be stopped by unbelief. Can't be stopped by sickness. Evil spirits, prison, earthly authorities, the foolish plans of men by beatings, even death, cannot stop the mission of God. I hope we see that in the text today. But maybe you're asking, okay, this mission is unstoppable, but what is the mission exactly? What is this quest that we're on? If you call yourself a follower of Jesus today, it it may be evident that your king does have a mission. You're called to be part of it, but you're wondering what, what that looks like. And there's a lot of ways we could talk about it, so I don't want this to sound like it's the only one, but let's, let's look at what it says in Acts chapter 5 specifically. I believe we're on a mission. We're on a mission to see that the gospel message is understood. That the gospel message is understood. I was recently on a trip in Gabon, and there were multiple language groups sometimes that will come together at these workshops And at the workshops, we'll all work on translating the same text together. That way, there's a little bit of synergy going on between the groups. And oftentimes, these languages are somewhat related. They may share some vocabulary. They may have similar grammatical backgrounds. And so it's it's strategic oftentimes to get them together and work in a workshop setting like that. Uh, Typically, these teams will come to it. They'll already have drafted the text, so they'll already have attempted to translate. In this case, they're translating from French Bibles. They'll have three, four, five that they pick from. They try to understand what the, what the meaning is, and then they translate it into their own language. And then they come, and we're going to work on it together. We're going to check it together. Now, as, as part of that, um, we often enlist a back translator. So, so this is how I get involved. I, I was at this one where Gazir, Isangu, and Ipunu were being spoken. I do not speak any <laughs> of those languages. 
So this back translator is a real key. It's somebody who's not one of the translators. They come in and join, and either they'll write out a back translation. In other words, they take that language, which is their native language, and put it back into French so I can see what choices the team made. Or we might be doing it on the spot. And that's what was going on at this workshop. We were doing it on the spot. And one day, the team was working on the story in Acts chapter 3. Peter, in that story, famously tells the lame beggar at the temple, I don't have silver or gold to give you, but what I have I will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And you know how the story goes. Well, one member of the team at this time was reading phrase by phrase in the target language, in the, in the, the native language there. And then the oral back translator would express what it said in French so that we consultants could understood. When they got to this part of the story, for some reason, the, you know, life happens, right? The back translator got a little distracted. He started looking at, at something down at his feet. And the translator got to the phrase and read, Telem. And we were all waiting for him to say something like, Lève-toi, you know, get up in French. But there was no response. And so the, the translator read out again, Telem. Once again, there was still no response. Clearly, the back translator had left the building, folks. But this translator was getting a little bit impatient, and normally a soft-spoken individual leaned forward across the table and yelled, Tell him! This man was so startled, he got up out of his seat and stood there. Well, we knew that that, that was a good translation, huh? <laughs> Get up! And he, he, he showed us instead of told us what was going on there. You see, understanding words is an important part of understanding the Bible, but that's not the whole thing. That's not the whole mission. We want to make sure that the words are right, that they communicate clearly. And yet, it's much more than that. We want people to understand the message about life in Jesus. That message comes uh, from, this, from this book. Um, and we're going to see it later in the chapter here. But uh, let, let me read a little quote from uh, two guys, DeYoung and Gilbert, who have another book called What is the Mission of the Church? They kind of summarize this for us. They say that the book of Acts shows us the scope and nature of the earliest Christian mission. Okay, so we're looking at the book of Acts. This is going to tell us about what, what's the mission here. If you're looking for a picture of the early church giving itself to creation care, plans for societal renewal, strategies to serve the community in Jesus' name, you won't find that in Acts. But if you're looking for preaching, teaching, and the centrality of the word, then this is your book. You see, the story of Acts is the story of the earliest Christian's effort to carry out the commission that we'd said earlier in Acts 1.8. Now, as we see here in chapter 5, that's exactly what's going on, isn't it? What was the first verse? What were they doing in the first verse? They were gathering where? In Solomon's portico. It was a row of columns that was inside the temple complex, and we saw back, you could see back in chapter 3 and chapter 4, the reason they got together there was to proclaim the message about who Jesus was. That's why they were gathering there. Chapter 5, they were doing signs and wonders and gathering at Solomon's portico. The message was going forward. Right after they get put in prison, the angel comes, releases them, and what does he say? Go into hiding, go do more signs and wonders, he tells them to go and teach the people about Jesus. When the Jewish leaders try to stop them, they don't try to prohibit miracles or good deeds. What do they try to prohibit? 
Stop talking about Jesus. And in the end, after they're threatened and beaten, what is Luke's emphasis? Luke, the author of this book, he emphasizes that they did not stop teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, this book that I read from, What is the Mission of the Church, is helpful. It goes on later and qualifies and, and points out lots of these other things that we do as the people of faith are good, and they give us opportunities to build into people's lives and to proclaim this message. So we're not saying that those things are not uh, good things to be doing, good things to be involved in, but we don't want them to supplant the mission. And this is how they summarize. It's not the church's responsibility to right every wrong or meet every need, though we do have biblical motivation to do some of that. It is our responsibility, however, our unique mission. To us as followers of Jesus, our unique mission and plain priority that this gospel message gets told to neighbors, to nations, that they may know Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing they may have life in his name. In other words, life and ministry and the teaching of Jesus, in, in all of that, in, in the mission that he gave us, he compels us to go out and serve. He compels us to go out and do practical deeds, to bless the poor. But all of it is with the aim that people would know the king, that they would have a right relationship with the king. So then, what's the heart of the message? I told you we were going to get to it right in this text here. Look at verse 20 with me. Did you catch it? When the angel set them from prison, it might have sounded strange. I know some English translations have it translated differently. Literally, the angel in Greek is telling them, go and teach concerning this life. This life. Life is our message, friends. Life is our message. We're sent with a message of life in Jesus' name. We want to see the spiritually dead understand a message and come to life. Now, ultimately, that's a miracle. It is. Only God can raise the dead. And we will see later in the book of Acts that it takes the Lord opening someone's heart. In chapter 16, it says, The Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to the message that was being taught. So we recognize it takes a work of God for people to come to faith. And yet, our mission is not the same as what God must do. We must go and help people understand the message the best that we're able. Recall from earlier when Matt read from the Old Testament in the book of Nehemiah. We were all standing together as they did in that text long ago. You see, in that setting... At that time in history, the Jewish people had been in exile. They had been taken away from their homeland. They were living in all over the Babylonian Empire and other places, and they, they were finally coming back to the land of Israel. The temple had been rebuilt, although in a smaller, less glorious form, and now they were there, and the law was being read. It was written in Hebrew. That was the language of their people for thousands of years, and yet many of these young people had not grown up speaking Hebrew. They'd probably heard it in homes. But when they were out in the market, when they were working with other people, 
The language of the empire was Aramaic, a different language, related but different. And so listening to this very old text was a little challenging for them. The vocabulary might have been hard. Maybe they didn't quite understand how something was phrased. So what were the leaders doing? The leaders were explaining, even translating some things into Aramaic. And as a result, when they went home, they were rejoicing because they had understood the words declared to them. They understood it as crisply and clearly as that back translator when he stood up in that moment at our workshop. But these are words of hope, not just commands. These are words of life. And now we know that these words in the New Testament are centered on Jesus. So when the angel says, go and declare this life, it's about life in Jesus. As I said on that last trip in and we were in Gabon, and we were working with, again, a cluster project. And uh, many of the teams were having a hard time actually finding that individual, that oral back translator, because it, it had to be someone that wasn't part of the process, right? Otherwise, they would kind of know what you wanted them to say. So this was somebody that had never heard this before, had never read this text before. Um, but one team, I believe it was the Teke team, found somebody to come in and sit there to be the the oral back translator, to put it back into French for us. And all week long, he was back translating from his mother tongue into French phrases like this, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2.38. He was orally translating things like this from 3.16, and Jesus' name by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of all. He also translated orally a text like this from chapter 4. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men, by which we must be saved. He was hearing this in his mother tongue, producing it in French, so he was understanding what was being said. And by the end of the first week, he came up to the consultant who was working with that team and said, I really, I really enjoy being part of this project, but can you tell me more about how to be a follower of Jesus? The, the consultant confessed he was a little taken aback. He had, he had to take off his linguist cap for a moment and put on his missionary cap <laughs> and think about, okay, let's, let's talk about this, who Jesus is. Do you understand that? Let's talk about what it means that we are sinners. Let's talk about repenting and following and giving our lives to the king to live his way. Well, the man believed. He repented of his sins, and the team actually took him to a local pastor who spoke that language so that he could get connected to a church. And he participated the second week as a follower of Jesus. But what started this man on that journey? He didn't come to that workshop because he believed those things. It was in that workshop, simply hearing these things in a language he could understand and pronouncing them out loud, showing that he really did understand what was being said, doing that day after day, in his own language, and then someone who came along later and helped him better understand what that meant and how he could become a follower 
of Jesus. That's the mission, folks, right? This is our mission, that the gospel message would be understood by people to the ends of the earth. We're on an unstoppable mission. It's a mission to help people understand the good news about Jesus. But it's also a mission that remains unfinished. Again, there's lots of ways to describe this. Josh pointed it out to you earlier. I gave you some of these statistics on the back of this insert here. And you can look at them. And there's so much to see here and praise God for. 5.9 billion people have access to the whole Bible in their native language. There are at least 3,589 languages that have at least something of God's word. And sometimes when you get motivated, you want to get people motivated about missions, it's easy to skip over stopping and thanking God for that. But remember back in the 80s, that story I told you about Bernie May? There were still 3,000 languages that had nothing had nobody working on it, and they didn't know when it was going to get started. What's the number today? It's that little white box there, 1680. So from the 80s until now, a lot of progress has been made. Some of those languages still only have just a little bit. They might only have one book. They might only have some stories. There's still a lot of work to do, but let's thank God, even as we think about what this is calling us to do. What this, what this means for, for our lives. As soon as Chase had finished talking, the group of Yef villagers crowding around him erupted into this sort of chatter in their own language. You see, Chase had just explained, with the help of two nationals who were traveling with him, why he had come to this remote jungle village. He and his wife, Kelly, were there wanting to help well, first of all, to learn the Yef language and then to help people learn to read and write and then eventually translate God's word into their own language. His news had stirred up a bit of a firestorm in the village and there were 60-some villagers gathered there, but finally one of them spoke up, a young man in his 20s named Eudas, and his words would forever set their trajectory of what Chase would be doing with the Yef people. You see, he spoke in the national language so he could speak directly to Chase, and he said, what you're telling us is great news, and everyone here is excited about it, but please hurry. And then Judas pointed behind him to some of the Yef elders who were sitting there. He said, do you see those people? They, they don't speak this language we're talking in right now, and all of them will die soon. So they won't ever hear God's word in their own language. So please hurry. Well, that encounter forever changed the way Chase approached the ministry they were about to do. And in 2012, Chase helped launch what was called the One Story Oral Bible Storytelling Project with the help of two people from the Yef community. And as a result, that project yielded 50 key Bible stories in the Yef language to kind of help people, almost like a children's Bible would, take them from Genesis to Revelation, understanding the big story of what God is doing in this world and who Jesus is and how you can know him. It also gives a context for when they translate the first gospel, often the gospel of Luke or the gospel of Mark. People don't know what a sacrifice is, or they'll think about these pagan gods that they serve. People don't know who the Jews are. They don't know where the land of Israel is. Many of them have never heard of big bodies of water. They might live in a desert climate. 
So all of these stories can help people better understand the gospel when they finally get it in their own language. Translating Bible stories, as small as that may sound, is actually a very strategic approach to helping people. It helps the translators get started. It's a low-pressure way for them to get started translating, but it also gives this overarching view of the Bible. And whether you know it or not, friends, as being part of First Baptist Fairdale, you've been part of this work. You've been part of this indirectly or directly. You see, five years ago, this book did not exist. And the second part is downstairs on the table. You're welcome to come and look at them. This is a collection of those similar stories in the Chichipu language in northwest Nigeria. Now, I didn't translate this. I'm not going to take credit for this. We did have a part in helping check the accuracy of those translations against the original Hebrew text to make sure that they were clear, natural, accurate, and that people would understand them. They're in book format. They're in audio format. They're on the cell phones of people who right now, the Chichipu people are scattered from their homeland because of all the violence and banditry that's going on in their region. And yet, God's message is getting to them. And I want to celebrate here today that this church has been part of that happening. Praise God. But I don't believe that this is all that, that God is doing here at this church. You see, Rachel and I and our family, we want to continue in this ministry, and we hope to be part of hundreds of projects in the future, helping people get these stories, helping them get full gospels, helping them get the Bible for the first time. But I think God is doing more than that here at First Baptist. I think he's raising up dozens of people who are going to go from here to the ends of the earth to proclaim this message about life in Jesus, that someone can trust Jesus, find forgiveness of sins like it talked about in this text. God's doing that today. Maybe it's something he's doing in your life. Maybe you're someone that he's calling to let go of the nets and follow Jesus into some new crazy mission that he's calling you to do. Be that at the ends of the earth or just right around here in Fairdale. Maybe you're someone like Bernie May who today God is confronting you with the need to pray. Not just for things that you know about right around you, but to start praying for places and peoples where Jesus isn't known. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do today. Or maybe God's just calling you to not stop. You're already on mission. You're already discipling people. You're already serving. But God wants you to not Stop. I know this mission is God's mission. It is unstoppable. It's a good mission. It's calling people to understand a message of life. And we want to be part of that. So friends, I want to end today and just say, don't stop. Your king is not going to stop. And nothing can stop him. So let's not stop. Our Lord and God, we thank you that for 106 years, the mission has not stopped here at Fairdale. And I pray for hundreds of years more, that as long as this area exists and needs people to understand the good news about life in Jesus, that this church would be here to help declare that. 
I pray that this would be a place also that is sending people out to places where Jesus isn't known, where Jesus isn't heard about, where people don't have your word in their language yet. Would you use this as a launching pad to send people out to the ends of the earth as well? Thank you that you are unstoppable. We put all of our hope in you. Nothing can stop us. Not beatings, not death, not plans of human men. Nothing can stop this mission. We put all of our trust in you. And we give you all the glory. And we will do it for all eternity with all the peoples of the world. And we pray this in the name of our King Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Marcus. As we conclude our service today, we're going to have a a final song for us to sing and worship God together. It's going to be a time of response. If anybody needs to come forward and